0: What's up, everybody? John Hoover, all Sooners back in the press box with a post-game podcast that is certified fresh. Ryan Chapman, alongside me. Uh, Randall's not here tonight. Randall's in. You're not gonna believe this. Orlando, Florida. He thought the game was in Orlando. Got no, the wrong memo. I'm totally kidding. He's uh, spending it, taking a personal day, seeing, spend some time with his family. So uh, yeah, Randall's in, And I, Randall, no offense, my friend. I kind of like the two-man exchange <laughs> here. kind of works. Hope uh, you guys are listening on the podcast, and I hope you're watching on YouTube. Because there's just two of us. Um, let's get to the game, shall we? We're in the press box, because why? Because Oklahoma held on not quite as dramatic a fashion last week, although it kind of was. Held on against, golly. Let's just go over some of the stats. Held on against UCF, final score was uh, 31-29. Yeah. Instead of a Hail Mary this time, it was a two-point conversion that they batted down or took down. It was a tackle on a weird double pass, lateral weird thing that Gus Malzahn birthed in a fever dream or something. (laughs) I I think that Brent Venables, he went on Tuesday
1: in his press conference. Diatribe is probably not... The yep. correct word. He went on a tangent talking about the deception of UCF. And it's, it's like, if desperate. they run a jet sweep, then they'll run a V and all this stuff. And I'm pretty sure he referenced that they will run a jet sweep action with a double pat. Like, I think he, he said that exact same thing. Uh, and that's what they ended up with. I guess um, I didn't go to the Gus Malzahn post-game press conference. was talking to some of the other uh, OU beat writers that, that popped in real quick, and they said that basically Malzahn said they used one of their two-point plays on the third and one, um, at the third and goal from the one-yard line. So this was their number two two-point conversion, which makes a lot of sense because this one was not very effective. Kendall Dolby did a good job pursuing the ball. Uh, Billy Bowman and uh, was it Woody Washington on that side did a good job covering it and it made Everything okay in a very very weird game where Oklahoma in years past especially last year probably should have lost this game yeah.
0: Bottom line is Oklahoma wins 31 uh, 29. The Sooners are now 7-0 4-0 in conference play and they're heading to Lawrence, Kansas we will be there next week um, They're talking about Kansas like say, you know There was a reference to Kansas in the postgame press conference. Kansas is gonna be great like they always are I'm like what? Wait a minute, when did that start? Uh, Kansas is gonna be interesting, it's gonna be tricky next week. Kansas, I think we know and agree that they're very well coached, but let's talk about UCF. Um, Ryan, I felt like, let's talk about how the game was won and lost. Um, OU found itself trailing to UCF, an 18 point, 19 and a half point underdog in the fourth quarter. Oklahoma needed two touchdowns to pull ahead and then stay ahead Uh, at the end. And what happened was, as you see a team transfer, uh, transition maybe a better word, from the American Athletic Conference into the Big 12 Conference, you see maybe less competitive depth. And you see uh, teams fade in the fourth quarter. If you take a look closely at what uh, UCF has done this year in the fourth quarter, they have faded, including, as we all know, that 29 unanswered points by Baylor in the third and fourth quarter, gacking up a 26 point fourth quarter lead against the Bears. I kind of had a feeling that was going to happen. It almost didn't, but you saw, I think, the lack of depth. You know, they've still got an American roster. They're trying to bolster everything as quickly as possible. Oklahoma's just deeper, more talented, better, and they were able to kind of, OU was, and kind of impose their will in the fourth quarter.
1: Yeah, and I think Oklahoma's defense deserves a lot of credit for how they started and how they
0: finished the game the very last drive,
1: notwithstanding, uh, because, yeah, I mean, um we talked about it in our post game wrap-up video on the field which if you haven't seen that yet pause this go to also watch all those videos come back you'll be caught up uh it might take you quite a bit though i think you said that we've
0: posted 29 pieces of content 13 videos 29 pieces of content
1: that's a lot but uh basically there was the, the offense never found any rhythm. I would even argue that despite the 14-point the run that they went on the fourth quarter, who offense still wasn't really in rhythm. It was just kind of, as you mentioned, UCF wearing down. But yeah, I mean, up 23-17, UCF had the ball back with a chance to make it a two-possession game, whether that was a nine-point advantage or 13, if they could punch it in, and Oklahoma's defense stood tall. Then, then the offense finally got rolling. Uh, Oklahoma was really, really unable who to take advantage until the fourth quarter of a UCF running defense that came in as a bottom 10 unit in college football. Uh, Oklahoma's last drive of the third quarter, they got two really nice scrambles from Dylan Gabriel and a Marcus Major rush that finally put the Sooners up over 100 yards. And in the end, it'll look a little bit better, averaging 4.1 ish yards per carry, if I, if I remember correctly. But yeah, Oklahoma's running game never got going, and it, and it left the defense out on the field for a while. But Brittman will set at the end that a little bit of their competitive depth showed. They looked a little fresher. They were able to make more plays. And. Uh, UCF, I think, it, it looked a lot like what Oklahoma did a lot last year, and Oklahoma last year was more talented. But uh, that fourth quarter effort from the linebackers where Gavin Sanchuk finally started to find some room, stuff like that, uh, I think we saw that in Morgantown. I think we saw that in Lubbock. We certainly saw on this field a year ago against Baylor about this time of year. It, it just looked very deja vu, except the team that was wearing down was wearing white and black and, yeah. instead of crimson and cream
0: yeah i just counted it up the two the two touchdown drives in the fourth quarter 11 care 11 rushing attempts for 91 yards including a 30 yard run by gavin Sawchuk. uh the, for the touchdown on which he he said he had time to look at the sideline and look for somebody you know on video you'll appreciate this podcast maybe not pushing their arms down like go down go down he said he looked and he didn't see anybody saying go down, so he went ahead and scored. It was college football's gotten so weird. Well, Dylan Gabriel talked about that. That was a weird. That even he
1: got confused because he said for a moment it looked like the UCF defense almost like once saw Chuck burst through the line, let up, as in like the, the let the other team score. So then Gabriel said for a split second, the veteran that he is, even he was confused. Was like wait a minute, if they're gonna let us score, should we go down and then take the points? At the end, Jeff Levy was like, hell no, take the points. We were not, there was not, there was too much time left to not just say, put seven on the board, figure that out later.
0: The time on the clock was 313. I think uh, UCF had two timeouts left, I think. And uh, if he had gone down, they could have taken a knee twice inside the the five yard line. Probably a better scenario to go down right there, but I digress. Um, Where I was going with that was, I thought the running game came alive Probably as well as, if not better than, it has all season on those two drives. Now we talked about it all week. UCF's defense is garbage. UCF's defense was not garbage today. Passes that guys have been wide open have been today they were covered. Um, Runs where there were gaps for guys to run, or there were there were gaps in the uh, in the offensive line. You see two offensive linemen, you know, clearing out a little space and you know squirts through a running back. That wasn't happening today, so I gotta give it up to UCF's defense. They're better than we thought, or they played better today than we thought they would. They played their best game of the season
1: today. Um, If if they had had Plumlee against Baylor, I think they finished that out. And maybe this team's viewed a little bit differently because they're not on a four-game skid. They have that Big Twelve win off their back. Um, I. They were so awful defensively against Kansas that Plumlee wasn't going to matter if he was healthy for the full game mm-hmm. or not. I think he would have... hundred
0: yards rushing. Yeah.
1: I was, uh, they had two different Kansas running backs that put up totals that, like, Oklahoma needed the, the third quarter to get. Neither here nor there. Uh, I I, don't, I think having him for the full game against K-State would have made a difference as well. That was a Kansas State team that was banged up in a different place then than now. So, um, yeah, all that to be said. But I also think that Jeff Levy... How Oklahoma started the game, I think that he almost himself pulled the offense out of rhythm, and I think that helped UCF get some confidence and and play a little more free. What do you mean by that? If you go all the way back, and we had gotten some comments, or at least I had, um, in between the game finishing and the start of the press conferences, but think about how that first drive started. You had... A direct snap to Gavin Satchuk. Weird. This is a guy making to his, start a game. To, Weird. This is a guy making his first start. Yep. Seven games into the season, not the most experienced guy in the world. Remember, he only really truly played in one game last year against Florida State. Then they came straight back to him on just a little. Uh, outright coming toward the sideline and he drops almost that like
0: bubble out of the yeah backfield.
1: just a little similar and then from there it's almost like jeff levy said oh shoot now they need to get jaleel farouk running out of the backfield and gavin freeman running out of the backfield marcus may have just been banged up he's dealing with a little shoulder issue not enough to keep him out of the game but you could tell they were trying to see is there a different way they could do it and instead of like why would you not just line up and run Gavin Sawchuk yes. con- quote-unquote, conventionally to get him going and start the game and then try to get into your bag a little bit? And certainly don't torture your own player's confidence after he has two bad plays by saying this is so uh, much of a disaster that you immediately have to go to Jalil Farouk and Gavin Freeman because, as we found out, Tommy Walker served what Brent middles called an in-house suspension mm-hmm. um, to – I think there may have been a disagreement with uh, the coaching staff or something like that that had him sit on the bench for a week. Vermittles said he'll be back next week, but uh, that was the situation that led to Sawchuck starting, and I don't think that Levy did him any favors from the first drive. And then it felt like it was almost a quarter of OU trying to dig out of that early offensive jitters, and they were not in sync, especially especially with Caden Green making his first start at left guard yep.
0: and Caleb Schaefer making his first start at right guard. None of that made any sense. It was It was really weird there were there was stuff going on. they were running speed option with dylan gabriel when one of our questions for the discussion what should OU you do this week was should OU you continue to run dylan gabriel and i said no not for this game and what do they do first strike first play was a dylan gabriel run next drive two plays dylan gabriel run like not not like trying to be tricky just okay we're gonna dive the quarterback in here and get some yards he is too valuable to be playing around like that near the line of scrimmage in a pile making him slide Again, he got hit again today while he was sliding. Um, I don't know where do you, where do you want to go with this. Uh, the the dart that Gabriel threw to um, to Nick Anderson, twenty nine yard touchdown pass, fantastic pass. He didn't have to do too much for it. It was a it was a nice play. It was a nice pass, but it kind of took the top off a little bit. Made you think, oh okay, now they got it figured out. But the offense continued to struggle the whole first half.
1: Yeah, it, it just felt like. We've seen it against Cincinnati. I don't really think you saw it against Iowa State. Um, you saw it against SMU for sure. You saw it against Texas. I think that was a little bit different. The the sputtering, the stop and start, the ebbs and flows were more because of the momentum swings in that game and the fact that Texas is like legitimately very good up front. Uh, against UCF, there should have been no ebbs, no flows. Yeah. This is a bad UCF defense. I get that they're coming off the bye. Because of Oh, you was also coming off a bye week. That did not look like a football team that had had an extra week to prepare for UCF. That looked like a football team that had an extra week to watch their Twitter highlight clips from beating Texas.
0: So that was kind of one of my lines of questioning to both Brent Venables and a bunch of players was all the emotion that came out of the game two weeks ago, right? The beating Texas 34-30? Yeah. Is that right? Uh, beating Texas in the last-minute touchdown drive, holding off a Hail Mary, right? You get a lot of emotion. Then you come out and you're ranked uh, fifth in the country. Really? We're fifth in the country? Well, what should we do next? Well, you should go back to practice, and you should put your nose to the grindstone and study some fi- some film on UCF. Yeah, but I got to go on the Pat McAfee show. Yeah, but I got I to gotta read about how I'm a Heisman favorite now. You see what I'm saying? These are the rocks two guys that I just identified. These are the rocks of Oklahoma's offense and defense. And they were the darlings of college football last week. You cannot tell me that that doesn't matter. You cannot tell me that that didn't have an effect. Brent Venables today said he didn't think it had an effect. A couple of players said, yeah, I mean, it's college football. You can get distracted. So you got all this stuff happening all at once. And then FPI, ESPN's FBI comes out and says, OU is the number one team in the nation with the chance to win a national championship. They've got the greatest chance of any team, college football, to win their conference. This team was not prepared for those kind of headlines at this stage of the season. Maybe in three weeks, maybe in four weeks, but midway point of the season, beat Texas, and everybody loves you. Bro, I think we saw the result out here on the field. They were not good today, and I think that's part of the reason. Yeah, and... and- I think that, too,
1: though, two things can be true here. Um, Letdown spots just exist in football, right? Sure. They exist even in the NFL. Um, you can't peak 12 times. Yeah, okay. exactly. And you can't peak 17 times in the regular season in yep. the NFL. Like, that's ebbs and flows of football. And Britt Vindels was asked about this line of questioning as well after the game of, you've been a part of a bunch of championship teams, whether it be conference championship or national championship not all 12 regular season games are just this big dominant performance mm-hmm. you have to eke out some games some close calls stuff like that Even georgia yeah right. and so i think about georgia with missouri last year missouri was not a good football team georgia was one of the just most overwhelming national champions we've seen in a long time that was the thing that happened um, so it, it i think while it's not okay that it happens, or, or no one's going to be happy that it happens, like, it does happen. That's college football. Everyone's going to have a big letdown spot somewhere. For heaven's sake, Alabama had to eke it out against Arkansas last week and then scored 21 unanswered, or 27 unanswered, excuse me, to beat a good Tennessee team today. Like, it, it happens. Um, but I, I thought that Brent Middles had some interesting perspective, and oddly, I was I was fascinated by what Brent Middles was going to look like in the post game, and he was really upbeat and really happy, and he acknowledged – there were a bunch of mistakes. And at one point, John, he said, you know, I'm paraphrasing, we made enough mistakes to get ourselves beat today, but we didn't. And we'll take that. And, and I think that that's a coach that's acknowledging it wasn't a great performer or it wasn't locked up 100% of the time. There were enough big mental errors on both sides of the ball to, to keep UCF in this football game. But the fact of the matter is, that right there was the iowa state comes into norman and wins with a third string quarterback that was OU goes up to colorado and can't make a field goal and you're going what the heck is happening and suddenly the buffs win a huge game when colorado's in the dredges of college football it's not a lincoln riley like the the last 25 years oklahoma fans you know this when you talk to your buddies you're like uh, where's the letdown spot? spot? Where's the inexplicable loss? This was it. This, this was, was it. the this was the inexplicable loss. You had Zach Schmidt couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, and Oklahoma won 30 and
0: 29. So I asked Brent Venables about losing momentum after the Texas win, and he smiled real big and said, I'm not laughing at you at all. <laughs> that was his quote. <laughs> he said, I don't believe in that. I don't live like that. Every week is a season of its own. I get that i absolutely get that um but he he eventually got around he said poorly managed success is the number one reason for failure some people say well you didn't handle that success very good and that's fair game that's one way to look at it i mean that's exactly what i'm talking about they had some success two weeks ago they got patted on the back and lifted up on the shoulders and everybody loved them and then all of a sudden it's like oh i forgot we got it we're supposed to play we're supposed to play against UCF. UCF came in here 19 and a half point underdog and said, we don't care. We're going to punch you in the mouth. And they did. They were they were the faster team, more physical team, more aggressive team. I just, again, they're 0-4 in Big 12 play, but I was impressed by UCF. Yeah, yeah. And uh, credit to
1: John Reese Plumlee. I thought he was really tough, tough today. Yep. Clearly not 100%. I don't think you saw that Plumley was explosive as he has been earlier in the season like he's a really gifted runner and we just didn't see that today there was one time uh, early on where he just ran straight into the arms of Ethan Downs <laughs> and I was like great play by Ethan Downs but that's not what a healthy Reese probably right. looks like um he, he's tough he hung in there but uh, there were good moments we'll talk about it here in a second uh the defense starts the game the first 12 plays they allow three y- total yards four straight three and outs they were a taunting penalty away from having a, a goal line stand for nope. the second straight week from the one yard line. We'll talk about all that here in a second. And they sniffed out the the very important trick play there on that two point conversion. But it's it's really hard Is I don't know if, I can't actually see what we, you can see on camera, but this iPad right here has USC and Utah playing. And I had a friend point out to me in the post game, um, this would have been a post game where the previous head coach would have been very defensive the entire post game we're close we're really close (laughs) people don't understand how hard it is to win a college football game all that that stuff today we got a head coach that basically the vibe was yeah we played like dog crap compared to what the standard is and we were good enough to overcome that and we understand that that is not acceptable and you better believe that brett Venables will be in there on Sunday and Monday, and he joked, oh, I got a lot of yelling that I can do as far as we need to fix this, that, and the other. But it was a coach that basically embraced like you can't peak 12 times, like you said, but also they did enough, and it was grit and depth. It was just a very different vibe. So maybe that's just a a head coach in year two that's still 7-0 and enjoying life as opposed to one that's been to the college football playoff a bunch of times, gets to 7-0, and people are still mad. But I, I just thought it was a really different vibe. It was kind of interesting, thinking back, going, yeah, you're probably right, Mr. Trantham. That would have been a lot different if uh, if that were Lincoln Riley yep. conducting that press conference, as opposed to a Brett Mitables that was, again, pretty happy. Go watch it on AllSuiters.com.
0: Yeah, the way he phrased it, something like, uh, we won the game, and I get to yell at the team. What's better than that? <laughs> Uh, okay, so offensively, we talked about the fourth quarter, kind of getting the running game going, probably as good as it's been all year. Uh, no Talwee Walker, Marcus Major, a little banged up. So uh, Javante Barnes, non-existent today. Uh, he ran in the game, they called him back, and he ran back out. So he almost got one play. Hope we were hopeful that he was going to get one snap. Hopeful. Yeah, they, uh, at this point, I think they're possibly strongly considering the possibility of redshirting him. Um, Javante Barnes because he's only played in three games he gets one more they didn't want to waste that one game in that situation so we'll see Um, but uh, Gavin Sawchuk finally got to tote the rock today and he looked at, at times really good and at times like he was doing it for the first time all season I thought he was a little bit hot and cold but uh, Myron Patton was asking this question. The more times he got the ball, the better he looked, including that last touchdown run. Yeah, I, I think that he – and he's had a hamstring injury that we've talked
1: about a bunch. That for someone where like Sawchuck's key trait coming out of high school was his speed yep. and his twitch and his ability to, to juke and, and make slight cuts in the open field. And you saw all that on his play against Florida State. Even in the fourth quarter today, John, he did not look anywhere near as explosive as he did against Florida State. Right. I, I think it's a guy, I don't know if it's that because the hamstrings hampered him, football shape is something you have to play yourself into. I'll tell you what else, you know what I
0: mean? he, He's put on some muscle. He's put yeah. on some weight this
1: year. Yeah, I, I just think that he, uh, he still didn't look anywhere near as explosive against Florida State, which is an actual good defense from the state of Florida as opposed to, again, like, Oklahoma gets no passes. I don't care if Caden Green and Caleb <laughs> Schaefer had never played football before. Kansas had two guys run for basically about 300 yards on like 30 carries, yeah. and Oklahoma couldn't do anything until the fourth quarter day. This is not a defensive line you should have had to wear down, but they did wear them down. Yeah. Um, I want to see more from Sachuk but but here's the here's the important thing: when he got going that 30-yard touchdown run. That's the kind of explosive play that Marcus Major isn't capable of if he's not 100%, that we've seen Tommy Walker get past the SMU defense and then get run down. We've seen Dylan Gabriel get run down by the Texas defense on a really, really long run, a great run. Uh, But Sawchuck is the only guy in that room that we've seen this year. Uh, I bet the freshmen probably have that speed, but we're just not gonna see him at this point. If if like, the running game's been so bad, if we haven't seen the freshmen yet, just don't worry, don't spend your mental time on that. Uh, but Sawtuck's the only one really that can house one of those. And so that's going to be really important, I think, down the stretch is to get him into playing shape because uh, he is the only home run hitter they have in the running game unless Jillo Farouk pops one off out of the backfield.
0: They call him G-Freaky, Gavin Freeman. I think we need to apply that to uh, Nick Anderson. N-Freaky. That doesn't really come off the tongue. Like yeah, that, it's
1: really. not as smooth. Maybe we'll, we'll workshop that. Nick Freaky, Freaky Nick. I don't know. I think that, unfortunately, I think that uh, he probably needs to borrow his brother's nickname that Toby Rowling gave him, Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson.
0: Hello, Mr. Anderson. Welcome back. Uh, Yeah, Mr. Anderson uh, is a freak. That's where I'm going with this, obviously. Uh, He led the team in receiving today five catches, 105 yards. He had a 42-yard touchdown and a 29-yard touchdown. Hard to cover him. And like I said, a couple of those catches were very well covered. Uh, and then the forty-two yarder was wide open because that's what he does. He gets open, catches touchdowns. So five catches, two touchdowns. What's that give him? Seven for the year. That gives eight for that's the year.
1: Eight touchdowns. Eight touchdowns
0: and on sixteen receptions. Sixteen catches.
1: <laughs> it's good. perfectly half.
0: <laughs> that's pretty good. Half of your touch Half of your catches are going for touchdowns. Uh, so you see a little bit of movement there when they're trying to replace Andrell Anthony. That's another starter that has gone out. So you're missing Tawi Walker today, you're missing Andrell Anthony, you're missing two guys that normally have started in the, uh, in the offensive line. So this is a team that I think what we're saying is this is a team that's a work in progress. You've got guys stepping up, you've got guys changing roles, you've got guys flipping positions on the offensive line. Um, and they're seven and zero you are seeing a lot of work-in-progress type, we got to try this, we've got to try that, and yet they're 7-0. It,
1: it's so weird because the vibe out of Oklahoma fans, I think, was like a hoof, like a exhale when they won that game. I don't know if anyone was like super stoked they were leaving the stadium, but if you had stopped someone and said, hey, <laughs> last December, after you turned off the, the TV after the Cheez-It Bowl, if Hoove had sat you down and said, hey, Oklahoma's going to be 7-0. They're going to be 7-0. And offensively, they're going to be missing an offensive line starter. They're going to be missing their lead wide receiver. And they're still going to be able to survive, stuff like that. I think everyone would have taken that. And so you saw that a little bit today. We didn't get to see Brennan Thompson. We saw a little bit of Jaquez Petaway when Gavin Freeman got moved into the backfield. So that was kind of a weird... Petaway was still playing on the inside, but they were able to
0: move stuff around. You had Stoops and Freeman both in the slot. All yeah, right. which was
1: which was unfair to Sooner fans trying to decide when they're supposed to yell Stoops or right. not yell Stoops. You I do know. not. I do not uh, yell at any Oklahoma fan who got confused <laughs> there. But no, I, I think that the next element, they've got to find a way to get Brendan Thompson out there. I, I think that. Um, I'll have to go back and watch this, but without Anthony and Farouk, I think defenses are going to be pretty easy to say. If they're worried about the deep threat, they'll roll a safety over to Farouk and just say, got two guys with the eyeballs over there and, and make somebody else beat you. Now Nick Anderson will run straight by you. That 29-yard touchdown with busted coverage. Uh, we, we were laughing in the press box because mid-play, before the ball was even thrown, uh, the I think the slot corner was already looking around like, hey, that was your guy. What are you doing? Um, but, yeah, Oklahoma needs to figure that out. I thought the good sign, not just Anderson getting more catches, but Nick Anderson in the second quarter had a really key third down catch. Jaden Gibson had a huge third and 12 catch in the fourth quarter early on. That I, I think they have the elements to replace Andrew Anthony, what he can do stretching the field, like I said with Thompson and Farouk and, and Petaway. What we didn't know is will they have the guys that can make the catches on third down? If you had read any of the stories we had put up at AllSnews.com, Andrew Anthony was just as big a piece on third downs as he was stretching the field. And I think you saw the, the, the beginning, the foundation for Gibson and Anderson to step up and Gabriel to be comfortable throwing to those guys on third down.
0: Yeah, and, and they're not that they're not going to miss Andrew Anthony. I think what you saw today was a little bit of that transition, trying to find that next guy, trying to find uh, the guy behind that next guy. Um, and you saw some ups and downs from both positions. Uh, So receiving numbers, we talked about that. Rushing numbers, Major, Marcus Major actually led the team. We talked about Gavin Sawchuck 100 times so far. Sawchuck averaged 6.3 yards per carry. That's pretty good. 10 10 carries, 63 yards, including that 30-yarder at the end. But it was Marcus Major with the bum shoulder, Brent Venables described, uh, who came in and rushed for 82 yards, had his best game of the season um including a couple of 13 yarders in the fourth quarter when they're trying to salt the game away
1: yeah i think that's really impressive too because remember last year if you follow along pretty closely jeff levy when when later in the season he was asked like the biggest thing with marcus majors so he just got to be 100 percent healthy Um, And Marcus Major hasn't been 100% healthy this year, and he's still been a key part of this Oklahoma offense. So I think that's a huge credit to the toughness for Marcus Major. Um, He gave Oklahoma some of those consistent runs that that they needed, and he also had a nice catch downfield as well um, at one point. So I thought that was really nice um, from from Major. Jeff Lovey after the game, said they're still looking for that go-to guy. I just don't think they're going to find him. Mm-hmm. Tommy Walker's as close as what they've got to that, but as we mentioned earlier, Tommy Walker has been really tough running. I thought he was a lot better in pass protection against Texas. He just doesn't have that home run speed, and... Uh, I really think for this Oklahoma offense, for Jeff Levy, the score from far philosophy, he would rather have a guy that has that home run speed to be the guy to, to take that baton and run with it. But uh, that'll be something to work through for these next couple of weeks. And while Kansas' defense has improved, it's not an elite unit up front by any means, but th- it did not matter today. I mean, an awful UCF defense uh, looked normal to average at times, which is what no one in the country has done. Say, maybe Kent State. Kent State was the last group that made that defensive line look average.
0: So I was looking at some of the numbers uh, in the online game book, game box, while we're, uh, while we're watching the game, and OU started out one for six on third downs. One for six against UCF, not good. The average yards to go on third down was 7.7. They were, uh, they were coming up on a third and eight by average on their first six or seven third down conversions, third down attempts means they were terrible on first and second down. means that uh, something was going on with Jeff Levy, something was going on with the offensive line. You know, we'll look at it closer later. Coaches need to watch film, all that stuff, so do we. Uh, but Dylan, I thought Dylan Gabriel was not spectacular. He did throw an interception. That was absolutely not his fault. He laid one up to, to across the middle to Drake Stoops. Drake Stoops jumped and then reached down here to catch it, like he was needing to jump. If he had just stayed on his feet, he probably could have caught it up here uh, by his head. But he jumped, caught it in his gut, ball popped out, he took a hit, it was intercepted, Dylan Gabriel picked off. Uh, Dylan was also sacked three times, so he never really seemed to get very comfortable. Like you saw him in stretches against the Texas Longhorns, and certainly before that, where he was back in the pocket, confidently throwing the ball, he had one where he rolled out to the left. He had a little action in the backfield, and he rolls out to the left, and Drake Stoops is running right down the hash wide open. And he looks at him, and he's, he pump, he pumps for a second, you know, left-handed pump, he pumps for a second, and then he tucks it and runs and picks up about four yards. And I'm like, there wasn't anybody around Drake. And he's just, there was something about it today, something different, something off, whether it was Jeff Lebby's calls were getting in late. Uh, they talked about discipline on defense, getting the calls in. I think there was something going on with the calls getting in late with Jeff Levy because he just wasn't real. Dylan wasn't operating with a lot of confidence today.
1: Yeah, Dylan also missed. uh, There was a play that he was scrambling around behind the line of scrimmage in the first quarter. I think it was the second – I think it was the first missed field goal drive, so the second drive of the game or the third drive of the game, where LV Bunkley Shelton was wide open on the A in Oklahoma in the corner. Like, he was going to catch the ball and turn and go pet Boomer and Sooner, (laughs) and no one would have been the wiser where the football was, and just didn't find him. Uh, Yeah, those three sacks, Oklahoma had given up five sacks total through six weeks. So... He, he seemed out of sync, but again, I, I think one of the problems is, and we we talked to Jeff Levy about this after the Cincinnati game, and while it's totally on the offensive coaching staff to get this thing, as a play caller, purely as a play caller, I do have a little sympathy for this. When you don't know where the play is going to bust play to play, <laughs> it's really hard to game plan around that. If you know that your left tackle is going to get rinsed every play, <laughs> then you can say, okay, what do you do? You put a tight end and a running back on that side. You have somebody chip. You start to game plan around that, right? Mike Gundy's been brilliant at that for years. I think he's like one of the most self-aware coaches to be able to say, I think that this is a weakness. How do we try to cover that up? Oklahoma continues when the offense sputters. At one play, it'll be the offensive line. The next play, it'll be it looks like the running back didn't get a great jump or something like that. And Jeff me. after the game said, yeah, the inconsistencies are coming from different spots. Like, every group is having them. And I think that that's really hard to to call a play for when you're like, well, the left side of the line took care of business the last two times I made this call. Let me call it down. Left side of the line gets blown up. And you're just like, what do you do? Uh, It's got to get fixed. And, again, that's on the coaching midweek. But from a pure play calling perspective, I think it's really hard to get into any kind of rhythm when you don't know where the – where you got to plug the holes, yeah, play to play. But to
0: be fair, no. L. Anthony, no. Tawi Walker, uh, two new guys making their first career starts at guard. Uh, it just, it just is what it is right now. And like I said, they're seven and zero. You want to switch over to defense? Yes. Let's t- switch over to defense. Danny Stutzman was the star again, statistically speaking. Twelve tackles, uh, one tackle for loss, one forced fumble. Um, the team as a as a unit, thirteen tackles for loss, three quarterback sacks. Brent, I thought, really loved that when he was talking about it in the post-game press conference. Um, Trace Ford knocked down a couple of balls at the line of scrimmage. Guys, I thought they were playing great. I thought they were playing amazing the first four drives. But then you start, you you put them back at the 25, they they go the distance, back-to-back drives. One of them was a touchdown, one was a field goal. And all of a sudden, uh, UCF leads 10-7, and the defense starts wondering, doubting itself. And Ted Roof talked about it. You're talking about uh, calls getting in a little bit late, guys not having discipline with what the call is coming in. They don't know, they don't trust it, they don't believe it, they don't uh, anticipate it. Um, what else? There's um, th- There were guys that were, uh, th- he said their eyes were in the wrong place, they're reading the wrong keys, they're getting beat. Um, the 86 the yard touchdown pass, There was trickeration in the backfield, they're doing some movement, motion, and all of a sudden uh, John Rice Plumlin comes out and floats, rolls out, and floats a throw down the sideline, and Woody Washington, who has been excellent in coverage all season long, Woody Washington, it's like he's not even on the field. He was 15 yards behind the play. So, some amazing, great, consistent, big-time plays, lots of tackles for loss. And then some others where you just like, there's four or five plays where you're just like, what? Head scratchers. Well, more than any performance this year, this to me was literally
1: like five bad plays, sunk the entire view of yeah. how the defense played. Yeah. And, and Britt was talking about that after the game. He was very clear that this was not a dominant performance. 2.5 like,
0: yards per rush on all but the 57-yard run. Yeah, what? yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and basically, Brittman was like, it was not a dominant performance. It was not, but it had all the elements of a dominant performance. And, and like we mentioned, they came out, John, first 12 plays, they forced four three-and-outs. They only allowed three total yards of offense. Through the first 22 plays, that's when UCF punched it in and scored, right? On 21 of those 22 plays, UCF combined for 22 yards. The other play was the 54-yard scamper. They ended up down at the one-yard line. And then you talk about, okay, Hoov, remember how that played out? They get the 54-yard run, UCF does. He's out at the one-yard line. First down, what happens? Oklahoma stuffs him. Second down, what happens? Oklahoma stuffs them. I turn to you and I say, there's no way this is happening two weeks in a row. That like this is not something that nope. is Oklahoma football. I know that the defense is better, but Oklahoma fans do not just get two goal line stands <laughs> two weeks or two games in a row. Gaylord Family Memorial Stadium is on its feet. It's as loud as I've heard that thing in a hot minute for that third down play. And what happens? Oklahoma blows UCF back. And I was like, it's third and four at this point. I was, yeah, I was like, holy crap, they just did it. And then Jared Canuck just loses his mind for two seconds, and with a guy laying on his back in the pile, he takes a step to bow over him and yell in his face. Stuff that we didn't see Ethan Downs flagged for against Quinn Ewers last weekend that nope. we had, or two weeks ago, whatever, last time out, that we had said got away with that one. We were glad the refs let him play with the passion. The refs didn't let him play with it today. You got the the kiss flowing on the sideline on that big uh, pass that, that you mentioned. That was called for a taunting. This was called for a taunting. UCF gets a new set of downs. Uh, they get a timeout to avoid a false start, and they're in the end zone the next play. Like, Oklahoma was literally one two-second just blackout from Jerry and Canick away from having two goal line stands from the one yard line yeah. in two games.
0: Yeah. That's how close Oklahoma's defense was today. Uh, Brent Venables, this had all the makings of a dominant performance on on defense. It wasn't. I think he's kind of hollowed out a little bit by that because they're, they're that close like you're saying. Just don't do that. Don't give up the, don't get your eyes in the wrong place and get beat on an 86 yard touchdown. Don't, um, have a bad run fit on the 54 yard run to the one yard line. Don't have a mind fart, a brain fart, and and lose yourself in, at the three yard line standing over a guy, flexing over him on third down after a third down stop. Jared,
1: just go stab Danny. Like, you, you can stab <laughs> each other. That's, you know with what the I mean? Katana, yeah. yeah, with the Katana. You can do your ninja celebrations, all that stuff. And, and two, part of the frustration on that 54 yard run, Brett Venable's up there. He's like, yeah, we worked on that play all week. Worked yeah. on that play all week. Talking to Danny Stutzman, Danny Stutzman said before that play, him and Jared Kanick were calling out the play, and then they had a bad run fit by the end, which opened up the hole. They got washed into trash, and suddenly everybody's chasing it. You can't let that stuff happen, but, again, even from last year, not even compared to the old coaching staff, just last year. Last year, that's not something where they prepare, prepare, prepare. Stutzman and the other linebacker call it out, and they don't make the play. It's a lot closer to what you want that to be than, than what it was a year ago. And I think that just shows why, as good as Oklahoma's defense has been through the first half of the season, there's still a lot of room for this group to improve. Now, will they get there or is it going to take another offseason? The next five games will tell us that, boss. But I think that they have the potential to, to take some steps forward to be even better by the time... Uh, this team's still going to play in Arlington. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, again, because they were supposed to lose this game. That, that's what the college football gods had said. This was the Oklahoma banana peel. It didn't happen.
0: Uh, Trace Ford had two tackles for loss as well. Trace Ford a decapitated a man. Yes, he did.
1: He. I, I almost thought that he tackled Plumley at the mesh point. And that was when Canick the drive before, almost tackled Plumley at the mesh point.
0: Yes. Uh, did, is that the one where somebody's hat came off? Uh there was a punt return where uh somebody's hat came off. Well good. no no UCF was hitting, man.
1: Because UCF was going toward the north end zone, I'm, just, I'm pointing wildly. Okay. And Plumley got lit up and they were having to make the determination if they're gonna kick a field goal on fourth down or not, uh, and as the ref was ushering Plumley off because yeah. they triggered a hit that that was Gus Buss, Mr. Malzahn was like, Yeah, we'll take the field goal, please. Yep. Boomer was really good, by the way. Uh his counterpart was not.
0: I missed that. What happened? Uh, Boomer, the UCF kicker, really, really good. Boomer, not the – I thought we were talking about Boomer and Sooner. Ponies. Like one of them crapped on the field and the other one didn't. I thought that's where you were going. (laughs) Come on, boys.
1: Well, when you talk about Oklahoma's
0: kicking game, one of them crapped on the field and the other one did. Boomer did – absolutely did not. Uh, The second biggest defensive play of the game, I thought, was Peyton Bowen's sack on third down. We talked to him after the game. Peyton said that was his first career sack in the sport of football. He's never done it before on any level. How cool is that? Um, he came in, he thought he was going in, he came back out and he's like ready to go on second down, ready to go on third down. Oh, they sent me in on third down. He goes in on third down, lines up and he knew it was a blitz. They worked it th- during the week. They said, get ready to run this. He's like, oh boy, this will be fun. They'll never let me do this. He goes in untouched, unseen, by John Rice Plumlee and just broke him in half. Uh, didn't force the ball loose or anything, but it was uh, it was a third and long uh, sack and he just took him down, forced the punt. And I think that in a lot of ways, obviously Oklahoma responds and scores the touchdown to go up eight after that, but that was one of those plays that just, it, it's gonna go under, under looked, underappreciated I think. Uh, and then we'll talk about the biggest play here in a second.
1: Yeah, I thought the biggest part about that, too, was uh, first off, Britt Middles said this after the game. I think he phrased it as uh, sometimes you get guys in that position and they faint, basically saying they <laughs> whiff on the blitz. Yes. We've seen a few of those in yep. our time covering this team. Uh, Bo did not. And, and yeah, that angle that you said, basically, UCF was down one point. It was, I think, a third and six. And so I remember thinking. If UCF just gets three or so yards kind of near midfield that Malzahn probably is going to say, screw it, you're on the road, you're on a three game losing streak, what do you really have to lose? It becomes a decision whether to go for it on fourth down or not, not the case. You you get that sack, it brings that way back and forces Gus Malzahn to basically say, got to punt the football, hope that the defense can get a stop and they did and they extended to eight. And uh, so, yeah, it, it was a really great piece of play by Peyton Bowen and really important stretch of complimentary football. Like, again, it's college football. You're never going to play complimentary football for 60 straight minutes, but to build on Oklahoma finally getting the lead yeah. back the crowd was up for it they were ready they were ready to be like okay come on come on it, you weathered the storm make that thing happen Peyton Bowen got it ignited and I, I really think it
0: gave the offense momentum when they came back out on the field and,
1: and tried to put the hammer down and run the ball a little bit more
0: he was asked Peyton Bowen was asked about being instinctive and what did that what does that actually mean to a football player and he said People think that you're inst- when you're instinctive that you just, you're just you gifted this football knowledge. He said it comes from studying, it comes from preparing, it comes from practicing, it comes from looking at film and looking at tendencies uh, and knowing the game. And then when you get in the game and you get in that situation, the opportunity comes for you to make a play. Yeah, it's instinctive because you knew it was coming because you did all that pre prep work beforehand. So brilliant play by the freshman. He does not play like a freshman. He's, a, he's an amazing young athlete. Uh, that forced a punt. They kicked it back. Oklahoma was up 24 23 at the time, seven and a half minutes left. Sooners get the ball and they drive down for the touchdown that makes it 31 23. So Drake Stoops had caught the 11 yard touchdown pass from uh, Dylan Gabriel to make it 24 23. Sawchuck breaks free for the 30 yarder to make it 31 23. And you're thinking at that point, okay, UCF probably, they haven't really shown a pulse the last few drives. They're probably not going to do anything. But Plumlee starts the two-minute drill and marches them right down the field against this defense. And off they go. Yeah, yeah. And here we go. I was asking you, like an idiot,
1: are you ready for overtime? <laughs> Jeez. One, of, one of those things. And I actually thought I had also gotten some text about this. Some people had thought Brett Vittables and Oklahoma should have gone for two when
0: Sawchuk so. scored. I thought so.
1: I actually. They were up six. They were up, uh, well, they were up seven.
0: They were up seven, kicked the extra point to kicked go up eight. Kicked the extra pick, yep. point to go up eight. If you
1: go for two, you go up by nine. I actually thought you'd already had a goal line stand earlier. Make UCF go for two to extend the game. Because if they extend the game, they've already burned a whole possession of goal line plays. Yeah and then they had burned probably their best two point play left. so even going into overtime right. you probably have the You're advantage a lot of, of the two point plays yeah well gus has a lot of two point plays uh, but I, I, again I, I would rather do the uh, cuz who's to say that you miss it gus is now going for two to win the game instead of tie the that's game right. that's right um, point cuz also did you have faith in oklahoma's offensive line <laughs> to get 2 yards no yeah i no, no, I was. Not not, to, I, I don't care what they did. Day. I don't care what they did in the fourth quarter. They are not. That's not something you can bet on. That's not a known outcome. That's something Jeff Lovey talks about all the time, right? You need known
0: outcomes. Nothing about the offense was a known outcome today. So here's here's the backbreaker. Uh, throws the touchdown pass. Plumley throws the touchdown pass to Baker on fourth and ten. Sooners <laughs> yes. yes. have gotten another goal line stop. They get to fourth and ten, and they're like, Yeah, no, we're going to go ahead and get a guy wide open in the corner of the end zone. And then the two point conversion pass, uh, two point conversion happens, and it unfolded, according to my flawed memory, as follows Plumlee throws a lateral flat pass to uh, the running back. What's the running back's name? Was it Harvey or Richardson? Uh, Townsend. 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 Xavier Townsend. Yes. Um, and I don't know if it was a running back or a slot receiver, I think it was someone in between. Um, and throws an obvious lateral, big lateral, like a three yard lateral. And at that point, you realize what's going on. OU has two two guys, one receiver out in the pattern. They have two, uh, two guys, Oklahoma's got two guys dropping into coverage. Billy Bowman and uh, Woody Washington are locked in coverage. And Kendall Dolby, who was like the slot corner, saw what was happening, realized it was going to be a double pass because Brent Venables told him during the week Guys, they run jet sweep motion and uh, run the double pass out of it. And here comes the double pass out of it. He said that uh, Kendall Dolby said they had uh, seen them run earlier this season on film, a variation of this play. And when he saw it unfolding, he knew exactly what it was. And his only thought, even though he had two guys locked in coverage behind him, his only thought was to get that dude on the ground. And he did. Xavier uh, Townsend was uh, tackled for a loss slammed to the ground hard and I like a lot about Kendall Dolby's game. I interviewed him when he committed to you as a junior college at an NEO and you look at his film, he is an explosion on legs. He's just waiting to hit somebody and that's what you saw today. He loves contact, he loves running full speed and slamming into people.
1: Yeah and this is only his third game really playing Cheetah, right? Remember he, he rolled out there at the Iowa State game because when Harrington went down and, and down for the season, I think that they were thinking they needed a more permanent option there as opposed to just rolling a Pearson or a Peyton Bowen over there. And you saw a little bit of growing pains against Iowa State. I thought he was exceptional against Texas. I thought he was really good today when he rolled out there as well. And for all those guys, both Billy Bowman, Woody Washington, and then Kendall Dolby to keep their composure in that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was huge. Britt Venables had I, – I, I was locked in on Britt Venables during that play, and he immediately had three or four big fist pumps toward Dolby, and he was overjoyed. And then he spun and made a beeline to Woody Washington and Billy Bowman as if to tell them, great job to not bite the cheese yeah. on the lateral and to stay back there to, to make him – because you saw Townsend had that thought of I need to slow down to throw the ball he looked up there was no window to throw the ball dolby was already full head of steam and the play was just going to be over from there and so that was huge by all three of those guys in in the secondary on uh that near sideline that the oklahoma sideline uh the west sideline there to, to make that happen to, to stop that two-point conversion play and like i joked on the field who over the past ten years, Oklahoma's put together this weird rolodex of great defensive plays on two-point conversions yeah. to save games or, or not send things to overtime. Yeah. Just a weird occurrence.
0: Don't try it. Let that be a lesson to you. Same score as the uh, 2015 fifteen TCU game with Steve Harper Well, uh Yeah, that's right. Iowa State. I forgot about the, that. In the Hertz Party Bowl. Bowl, Oklahoma State. Yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, the corn dog, the
1: corn dog throw. Well, that, that was a bad throw. Sorry, Taylor. There's a reason you said the <laughs> CFL. That that would.
0: That play was there. The other ones were good defensive plays. That one was all on court dock. Yeah. Um, okay, so Boomer kicks the onside kick. OU recovers the final no, round no. 113. OU doesn't recover. Your guy
1: Austin Stockner recovers big oh, okay. hands play by Stock. Did he get a catch for that? You said he gets. Uh, I said he, I said he should get five catches <laughs> in, in the press box so you can get the March to Forty presses off. Did you just call him
0: Big Hands Stock? Uh, big Stock. No, Big Stock on the hands team. Hands team. Okay. I, I kind of like Big Hands Stock. Yeah. I don't. I think that works. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't like that one as much, but it it, it might work. OU kneels it out. They win, uh, 31-29. We have not talked about special teams because that's kind of an elephant in the room at this point. I think. Yeah. Uh, special teams, on the whole, are pretty good. It
1: was actually it. It was just one element today. It was. It was, it was kick- good. Good punt coverage. Good kickoff coverage. Yeah, I thought the the punt, the, the punt returns and the kick returns are both good. Freeman had a couple uh, in the in the punt return game that. He basically was like, "I'm just gonna have to catch this and ap- just get absolutely rocked to save field position." But he held onto the football. Mm. He had a good punt he return, um, kickoff return was good, and Luke Elzinga. And what everyone wants to talk about, obviously, is Luke Elzinga. We had thrown this out there. I don't remember if it was the Texas Postgame Pod or if I just texted you. Maybe it was content that we should have put out there that
0: I just set on fire because I you mean, you're talking to yourself on the way back to Norman. Yeah, Florida. that's what it was. You were driving on the highway at two in the morning. Clearly. 20%. And and I had
1: asked, okay. Josh Plaster has just been really hit or miss. Yeah. What would Elzinga do if if he is a even if he's not booming fifty yard punts if he's a known quantity as Utah scores to go up, two touchdowns, twenty eight to fourteen, uh, rejoice. Um, <laughs> it. it Like, if Luke Elzinga could just say, I'm going to give
0: you 40 yards every time, that would be better than what you're getting with plaster. He averaged 43 yards per kick, and he was a two-time all-MAC punter at Central Michigan. Yeah, and I don't understand why he's the coffin corner guy only until well, today, and and then today
1: he goes out there and averages fifty one point six yards per punt on five punts. So Luke Elzinga, I and think, did some coffin corners. Yeah, did some a couple, couple corners inside too. the twenties. Uh, he had one that didn't that didn't pan out, but had four inside the twenty. You'll take that. You'll take that. Uh, and so I think that Oklahoma has maybe found an answer there for punting, and yep. that would be a huge win, a, a huge massive win, especially when you, when you consider. Uh, The punting errors in the first half against Texas, that really screwed Oklahoma. They couldn't get out. They couldn't get out uh, against Cincinnati as well. So that's huge. That's the good news. The bad news is that Zach Schmidt misses another pair of field goals. The first one's a 38-yarder. That's the inexcusable one. He misses the 43-yarder. Oklahoma should have a kicker that should make 43-yard field goals. Yep. If you miss one here or there, the issue is you go back, he misses a gimme in the Cotton Bowl. He makes the 25 yarder going into halftime. He's still perfect. The weird irony is, here's the Zach Schmidt was four for four on PAT PAT attempts today. He's 30 for seven for 37 on the season, 94 for 94 for his career. That's the fifth longest streak made in school history. (laughs) He just can't kick actual field goals.
0: Actual three-pointers.
1: Brent Venables said that he sees him kick him in practice all the time, that he's still the guy. That's bad news. Bad Steph, news.
0: Steph Curry's got a better percentage shooting three-pointers than, than Zach Schmidt. That's not a stretch. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the answer is, although during the during the game I posted in the blog, the live blog, which you need to read during the game because it's a ton of fun, ton of our uh, real-time observations if you haven't seen it. Uh, it's big time. Uh, I posted that it's time for Brent Venables to move on. Gavin Marshall. Is the kicker's name uh, Ready, Mister Did I say that right? Sure, close <laughs> enough. Open the competition up. That's what that's what they've got to do moving forward. Um, he he missed two today. Uh, those were listen. This was a game. Brent Beadle said it. Could you have Would you have lost this game last year? Yeah, I think I believe so. He said. I believe we would have lost this game last year. That's how he. That's how he said it. You missed two field goals. That's six points in a you in know a, in a two point game. Six points in a game where your largest deficit
1: was six points. Yes. So credit to the defense. Um, here, here's the thing that I didn't understand. And if you listen to the All Sooners podcast, you're probably annoyed with me saying this because uh, I yelled about it all of March. Oklahoma had no issue going to the transfer portal for every other position on the field, including punter. Yep. Yeah. Zach Schmidt was bad last year. He was in the 100s. 12 of 18. He was in the 100s. And if you go, the Baylor kick was a really long one. I think Venables just rolled him out there to see, see what his range was. Okay, fine. Every other time he was put in a pressure situation, he missed the kick. He clearly is a kicker that can't deal with the pressure. I thought that was obvious last year. I don't understand how Oklahoma was not aggressive. Maybe there were no field goal kickers in the portal. I I was not monitoring who was in the portal. I was just yelling that they need a different option. I've got news for you. You need to tamper for a kicker. This is going to cost Oklahoma a game. It will. They're not good enough. They're not consistent enough offensively to overcome the fact that you cannot rely on Zach Schmidt. You can.
0: I think you could say defensively as well. Yeah. Based on what we saw today, they're going to give up a 40-yard run or an 80-yard pass at some point during the game, you've got to be able to make those up, those points up somewhere else in the game, and that's field goals. And if you have to settle for field goals, you better damn well make field goals because if you don't, the other team's got the football in good position and they're going that direction now. So It almost burned him in tech. It should have been 30-30. The
1: one that he missed against texas was a gimme in the oklahoma end. it should have been 30-30 to 30. oklahoma should have never had to have a come from behind drive it should have just been okay dylan gabriel in the offense just need to get into field goal range for a walk-off field goal instead mm-hmm. of having to have the touchdown to win the game
0: brent Venel said he's got all the confidence in the world in zach schmidt i don't i think the fan base is probably not on that level of confidence. And I, to be fair to Britt Venables, we know how fickle
1: not just college kickers, but NFL kickers no. are as far as once you lose it, it's gone. The only thing you can do with a kicker, I think, is show confidence publicly. I I can't look inside Britt Venables' brain and in his heart and know if he truly has that confidence in him. I would not expect him to say anything different publicly. Uh, the second that you... Publicly open up a kicker competition. Whoever the starter is is no longer your kicker. Like that—that's usually how that
0: goes. That's right. Unless so. he's, unless he's the best choice, the other guys can't do anything either. At which time you go to the portal.
1: But you also probably don't say I've opened up the kicker competition season. Like you—you you can you can open it. It's obvious you have to. Well, 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 well what I'm saying is like what well, we saw. The the kicker on, competition has to be open. Well, on Monday he can go in and Jay Nunes can be like, yeah, we're going to evaluate all the kickers this week. Great. Yeah, evaluates him every day, every game, every week. But I don't think Britt Middles can say that on Saturday. The second that you say the kicker competition is open. Yeah, I would have said it. Then Gavin Marshall's your kicker. Now. I would have said I've got confidence in him, but that's something we need to look at. Now. Nothing wrong with that. They need to pick somebody different, because I, I no longer care what Zach Schmidt does in practice. It's clear that he can't handle the pressure of a game. Totally day. different. Totally it's different It's clear. It's situation. just. I, I hate. I don't enjoy just
0: bagging on somebody, but like. Oh. One st- Enough's enough. I'm with you. One statistic I wanted to get to, Eric Bailey dug this out, of the 22 uh, plays that Oklahoma ran early in the game, their first 22 plays, 18 of those 22 plays were run, were snapped in uh, UCF territory. 18 of their 22 plays were on the plus side of the field, and they came away with one touchdown, seven points. That's not good. No, so you got to have a kicker that can kick. If your offense is that inconsistent you've got to have a kicker who can make you three points here's the good news usually that stat comes out after a loss yes oakland won the game today 7-0. 7-0
1: for the 22nd time in school history mm-hmm. per mike calc
0: and his fantastic stats team third time in the last 18 years which is crazy and one of those was 2021, 20, when they started 9-0 crazy
1: speaking of which have you seen lincoln riley on the ipad recently no What's he doing? In the first half, Lincoln Riley was in a white, short sleeve dry fit. Yep,
0: yep.
1: He switched to a long sleeve at halftime.
0: Okay. <laughs> Sweated through the pits. Really. He, I, well, no, I think, I think it...
1: Batted in the air. I, hey, it's, it might be the first halftime adjustment Lincoln Riley's made in two years.
0: <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Thank Ryan, you. congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. That's a big time. It's a big-time shot. And with that, we're I, on the campus. I think episode 215 has just ended. We can't do better than that one. Hey, want well, to thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week on the All Sooners podcast. Uh, Wednesday, I believe. You can find that one and all of our shows on Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. She will hook you up. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player, listen on your computer your tablet, or your mobile device. Um, And of course, all of our shows are over on my YouTube channel. Hi, Mom. Uh, For uh, the YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. For Ryan, Randall will catch up next week. I'm John Hoover. See you guys.